0: Welcome to the first episode of England on 99.94 with me, Daniel Norcross, TMS commentator, BT, occasional bits of writing, other nonsense and podcasts, and Rory Dollard, the PA Media's cricket correspondent. It's marvellous to see you again after our, I I guess, a kind of dummy run last week, Rory.
1: Well, that that would make Jared the dummy, so I don't know if we want to be uh, (laughs) going down that road with the gaffer. But yeah, nice to be with you.
0: So we're going to discuss three main things today. Firstly, baseball and what it is in the light of the fact that the Test series is coming up against South Africa, beginning on Wednesday at Lords. How do we define it? Does it work? Is it new? Is it just a smart player way of playing cricket? We're going to discuss how you solve a problem like Zach Crawley, and he is an undeniable problem. Uh, tangentially, there's another problem called Jason Roy. Maybe we'll link the two, and finally. We'll get into the weeds of South Africa, how they play, how they're going to be captained, what Dean Elgar thinks about basball. So, Rory, let's start firstly with this horrific term that Brendan McCullum hates, doesn't want anybody to use. Uh, By the end of this episode, I hope that we'll have come up with an alternative, and if we haven't, I hope that our listeners will. What is it?
1: Well, I think it's fair to say I've heard for almost every England player who's spoken on basball since the word was, was coined, has distanced themselves, the team, the sport, from it as far as they can. It's, I suppose that uh, comes from a desire for, for sportsmen and athletes not to feel boxed in, I suppose, by a, a, very, a very small word that, that can be taken in lots of ways. But it comes from the fact that England look, feel, play different cricket than they were literally three or four months ago. It It's us, I suppose it's us as media or even fans grasping to sort of put a, put a bit of meat on the bones for what has changed about this England team. Uh, the fact that the games have, the four test matches, have all unfolded in a similar pattern, and the England have chased and, and chased quite quite meaty totals and, and gone about them in a same way, I suppose it has lent to the idea that that maybe this is a one dimensional uh, or a pretty narrow philosophy but if it was you know if you were pushing me for a really honest answer of what is bazball uh i don't you know, i don't know that it exists yet i don't know if they want it to exist it, it might be it might be a bit of sleight of hand might at this stage it it could be mm. the magician bringing out there uh, sparkly assistant while they sort of do the more mundane stuff away from away from your prying eyes. It, 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 there might not be too many bells and whistles in this. It might just be that they've hit a decent run of form and, and they're playing quite attacking cricket and they wouldn't be the first team yeah. to do that. Well, I, I, I know what you mean, but
0: I don't think it is that. And I'll tell you for why, because uh, it's the scale of the difference and it's the effect that it's had on particular players. So if we go back over the last couple of years and we see the way England have approached their cricket yes some players have approached it very tenaciously some of them have gone at it very aggressively some of them some of them have played to within their their own styles the likes of Sibley and and Burns and the contrast it all began I think with a contrast at Lords between two Lords test matches that took place a year apart both against New Zealand when England was set an almost identical target in both and in the first one they ended up it was, a, it was about 59 without loss after 33 overs at T, chasing 270, and thereby finishing it as a chase. And this, by the way, was in a game that wasn't in the World Test Championship. So there were no real ramifications. There was just a season to look forward to. And were they going to set it up nicely? They didn't. Then you fast forward a year, and they chase down that target, and they do it without New Zealand even needing a second new ball. Um, they did it comfortably with... with plenty of time to spare and it would probably have been quicker were it not for the fact they lost quite a lot of wickets up front and ben stokes uh, ben folks's partnership with joe root ben folks have slowed things down ever so slightly you then get to the trent bridge test match which to me is illustrative of what whatever this philosophy is new zealand scored 657 runs in 222.1 overs i think england chased that down over the course of the two innings In 122 overs. Now, this is preposterous. So there is definitely a different way of going about what they're doing. You know, when Stokes says to Bairstow, I want you to hit it into the stands, not along the ground, when they're chasing 290-odd, then there's something happening. Now, it might be that it's happening as a response to the balls we're using. And the ball. I cannot emphasize enough, Rory, how we in the commentary box basically look at the age of that ball and between overs 0 and 40 we think anything could happen probably about 35 really Mm -hmm. and thereafter the the effectiveness of the ball goes off a cliff and it goes off a cliff almost immediately and you looked at the way Mitchell and Blundell played against England they seemed to recognise that but then they didn't kick on what England have done is go well we don't care about batting for over 80 overs. We're just going to get as many runs as quickly as we can and cash in massively after 35 overs and go really hard. So, is this method something that has been born out of the tools in their disposal? Talking to Stuart Broad, talking to the other bowlers, they're disgusted by this ball. It's like a, say, it's like an orange, like a fruit of some kind, just goes completely soft. We've seen it. it's been changed a million times. Is it that that England are just being a bit savvier about how to play with this wretched tool than other sides that have come over to England, perfectly reasonably look at all the data, crunch the normal data, and play their normal way?
1: It doesn't feel like. I mean, it feels like it would be a great coincidence if that that sort of pragmatic decision coincided with the arrival of Brendan McCullum and the appearance of Ben Stokes, the captain. So at the very at the very least, it's it's a happy. It's a happy circumstances sort of bumping into each other. Whether they would have come off the rails and, and just tried to do the same kind of stuff and come off the rails if the Dukes ball was going round corners and, and, and playing games, we, we don't know. I suppose the, the word appears to be from, from the Dukes factory is, is that they think they've got on top of it and they think that, think that the balls are going to do a wee bit more, but that could be fingers crossed.
0: Is that for this series? Do you think they're going to well, make, think, be different I balls? The, I
1: think the balls are in constant. I think the, I think the constant supply. But he, you know, I think this, it's a it's a live process, isn't it? Every time they send out a batch, they're trying to make them a wee bit better. So, um, but, but you know, whether England want them to be better is a is another matter. They seem to have mm-hmm. mastered this this idea. But yeah, I think I, I keep waiting personally. I keep waiting for the time where England put in a really really responsible shift and don't hit. The cover off it and nerdle it around and get themselves into the game incrementally and then I'm waiting for Ben Stokes or somebody to come out and us to say oh that wasn't Baz what's happened to Baz and I want him to say did you think we were bloody stupid and that we were going to do this every <laughs> single time now I'm still waiting because <laughs> they're still doing it every single time and it's working but you know they, they they do keep saying and and they're very ready to warn it. They're ready to warn it when it falls falls to pieces and say we are going to come crashing down, doing this sometime. But mm. I would like to think once that does happen and they've tested the limits of time and space and 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 relativity, that they will come to a point where they'll play a little bit sensibly and go, this was never going to be yours to keep. This wasn't this wasn't forever in every single pitch, every single attack. And I suppose the interesting yeah. thing for us to, to work out is whether that's going to be in the next three or four weeks against South Africa, because is it merely a continuation because the pitches, I mean, they'll be drier with the weather we've had, but the pitches are broadly similar. Uh, an English-style attack, so that's what we tend to say about South Africa. It's certainly bowlers that they're familiar with. And if the ball's not doing a lot, is there any reason to to sort of roll the dice or are we going to see more of the same? suspect the fans who have bought tickets will be happy if they do.
0: I think it's worth just digging into the weeds just a little bit of this because um, it's very easy to see these remarkable run chases and say, well, this is a whole new way of playing. Uh, Lords, actually, the run chase was at about three and a half and over and that was the trickiest pitch probably, wasn't it? Of Mm. the four, you'd have to say. Uh, The second game at Trent Bridge was played on what's effectively a one-day wicket with short boundaries, uh, a particularly short boundary on one side. And a
1: lightning outfield.
0: Yeah, I mean, where, where the approach was fascinating was that New Zealand scored 550. And in days gone by, you would have thought that England would have said, right, from that point on, we can't win the game. So we may as well make the most of what are good batting conditions and just bat. And if by some remarkable piece of good fortune, we get up to 700 and can put pressure on them, you know, in the last day, then we'll do that. But they didn't do that. Actually, they went out really hard and tried to get to 550 as quickly as possible, despite losing early wickets. So that, I think was indicative of a different mindset, but they were provided the tools to do that on a pitch that was really kind of like played into their hands as well as the ball. Um, Headingley is a pitch, it seems to me, having watched quite a lot of cricket there, test cricket, where it gets easier to bat as the match goes on. Fourth innings run chase is not that unusual. Shea Hope with that um, that yeah. match winning 100 against England when they needed 330, the only man to get 200s in a first-class match at Headingley. And then you go to Birmingham, and I suppose that's the one that was the more remarkable, because the chase was higher, and it, again, it was done without India getting any recourse to a second new ball, and the the bowling attack was stronger. Again, just to go back to New Zealand, that bowling attack was massively hampered, wasn't it, by losing Carl Jameson and, crucially, Colin de Grondon, who bowled so dry. Um, mm. It meant that Trent Bolt, who'd had very little cricket, had to come in, do a lot more of the workload, The New Zealanders looked palpably more exhausted come the second innings. But I come back to something that does feel quantifiably different. And you would have had this from talking to the players. Uh, We stayed in the team hotel in Leeds and we got to spend a fair bit of time with the players, with Broad, Anderson, etc. And it was clear that they were really enjoying themselves. I said to one of them, you know, you've been playing test cricket for donkey's years. This is all smoke and mirrors, isn't it? And he said, no, I've, I've never been happier than I am right now. So there may be a bit of spookery, but what I'm reading from the players is that they're actually really enjoying their cricket. Now, I don't know whether that's Brendan McCullum, Rory, or whether it's Mm. that, to all intents and purposes, COVID restrictions are over. They're not having to just stay in various hotels, being moved from one place to the other. There's a consistency of selection that isn't taking into account COVID anymore. So you've got this perfect storm. I mean, these are all things I'm throwing up in the air without actually coming to a conclusion. But is it just that it's a really complicated picture, and it's all those things at once?
1: It could be, and it could be. I've never known a I've never known an athlete who wasn't happy when they were winning, and they needed that hard break from what was quite a quite an exhausting period around that England team. It was it was it looked like it weighed heavy on their shoulders being around the thing, and they just via a series of sackings departures appointments a, a new start was created and and they did have big personalities in mccullum and stokes it's teams teams basically the same uh but they, but they had a, they had a chance and it was at on at home to to restart now they could have lost any of those games those chases were i mean that first chase they, they, they shouldn't have won that game you know normal logic suggests that New Zealand got themselves in a reasonable position. Joe Root came out and, and and really a lot of a lot had to go right is what I'm saying. Joe Root could have easily the question about Joe Root was how is he going to react to being back in the ranks? Maybe he'll have that little that little dip. And if Joe Root, for whatever his own personal reasons are, has a little dip, we set off on a different on a different track and it's hard to build that momentum. But I think the the players are clearly having a good time. Genuinely there's no there's no uh, joking around about that—that—that's very hard to pretend. I mean, I, J- Johnny Berstel gave a press conference in Edgbaston that was near enough stand-up. Uh, he, he, <laughs> people, yeah, people were rolling in the aisles, you know. That's not—that's—that's uh, that's not something that happens by accident. Things are going well. I just—I think—I think we'll see that manifest itself in more different ways as time goes. on. I don't think we're going to see this test match rinsed and repeated infinitely. This isn't... It's not going to go like that. England will lose. They know that. But I think they'll also win and lose in different ways. I don't think people like Brendan McCullum and Stokes are... They've got simple tenets or like simple like building blocks that they want to work from. But it's going to go in different ways. And, and I mean, Stokes has won games for England in tons of different ways. He knows... He knows yeah. that there's a bit of shade and light around these things. So, yeah. The philosophy, the mindset, the... I know the guiding principles are probably baked in for the long term, but you know they might they, they might bat first one day. You never know.
0: Mm. Well, I was going to say that that I think
1: if you can find a
0: guiding principle, it might be illustrated by Alex Lees and by something that I sort of heard, but I can't remember the exact quote for, which is that you know Brendan McCullum had said that he only really felt that he'd fulfilled what he wanted to do in test cricket in the last year, year and a half of his own career, Mm. when he sort of let himself, I say let himself go. He he let himself try to be the best version of himself. And why I bring up Alex Lees is because you have been out there in the Caribbean and watched Alex Lees come into the side after England began the winter with Haseeb Hamid and Rory Burns, having had Sibley and Burns. and you know, having a very dour approach, a bit of the Silverwood approach right at the beginning of his his tenure when he said, we want to bat long. We want to bat the overs. Now, that guiding principle is out of the water. You know, Anderson and Broad, strangely, are not complaining about bowling 222 overs and only batting for 122 because they're winning. But they sure as hell would have been complaining had they been losing. That would have been horrendous for them. And Alex Lees batted like a man in the West Indies who was surprised to have got the gig and wanted to prove that he had the right to be there by by not getting out. And then he did the same thing in the first innings at lords and then in the second innings he hit a breezy 20 off 32 balls and he looked a completely different player. From that point on the positive approach that he's taken to you know try to hit the the full length ball, drive it through, the covers all the things that got him into the side in the first place that Durham fans and Yorkshire fans before that would have seen, we suddenly got to see something of his strike rate is just I mean, it's like twice as high if from that innings on compared to the previous innings and in, in the, the seven innings he played against West Indies and the first innings against New Zealand. So it leads us, a rather natural, brilliant segue onto the second item I want to talk about, which is his opening partner, Zach Crawley. How do you solve a problem like Crawley? Because this, I think, also exemplifies where people have got Baz Ball a bit wrong. Crawley... Was sort of getting himself back into form a bit. He got a handy old, handy 40 odd by not playing the shots that everybody loves him for, you know, the, the on the on the up cover drives, was starting to leave the ball. In the end, it was his undoing, wasn't it? He was he was yeah. bold leaving a ball. Um which which may make him reassess his approach. But it was as if he was trying to become the the best version of himself. Now, the reason why we bring him up is that it's been a long trot of single-figure scores with the, that occasional 100, but it never sort of really hinting at permanence. And if we think that Brendan McCullum's side has sort of discarded the likes of Burns because he doesn't fit with the, the philosophy, does that mean Crawley's in for the next three tests come what may? Or is there somebody snapping at his heels that the team will never talk about because loyalty is so important mm. in this team, isn't it? And giving people... That sense of comfort and freedom—that much we've seen. Um, firstly, is there a problem, and secondly, how are you solving it, Rory?
1: Okay, interesting. So I don't know what you think. I thought there was a zero, not zero, a five percent chance that they would drop Crawley for this series. People seemed to think it was on the table because it was a natural break. You know, you sort—you so you got through those four back-to-back-to-back tests and then there was a natural break to reassess. Crawley didn't exactly go and stamp himself all over county cricket when he played. I didn't think it was plausible, the way that, the way that Stokes and McCollum had both talked about Crawley and, and backed him. I think they are not viewed... You, you, you say it's a long trot of form. I think it's day zero when, England, when these two started at the start of this summer. So I think they think he's had four tests. And that's too early. To Why drop do you it. think that? Why I, I think just that? think, well, I think because of the reset, the way, the, the way they've reset their, their way they're going to go about it, how they're asking people to play. I don't think they're going to judge anyone on what happened before that first test this summer at Lords. I think, I think they are viewing Crawley's output as what's he done for us this summer. And they're also looking at the fact that they've won four games.
0: It sounds very much like the, like the British electorate when it keeps on voting in the Conservative Party on the basis that it hasn't been in power for the last 12 years. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) I'd like to think Zach Crowley is a slightly more respectable candidate for his chosen position. I mean, he's shown some aptitude for it at some point in his life, unlike the people you're referring to. Uh, What I would say is, if you were to have started this summer and and, and known exactly how I'm going to go about it, there's one opener who exemplifies... Bear in mind that at one point this summer, Ben Stokes said, it's not about how many you get, it's about how you look to do it. I mean, which is a remarkable thing to say in cricket, but if you'd have picked an opener on the surface, Yeah, it's the other
0: way way round, isn't it, normally? ...who
1: looked like he'd be their guy, it's Zach Crawley. I think he'll get a lot of rope, I really do. Okay. Because he's got more shots, we know he's got more shots than, than all the other people who are challenging for that spot. He has the ability to play in the fearless way and sort of deliver... The case against is really simple, right? He hasn't gotten many runs and he's got an average of, I don't know, what's his first-class average right now? Is it just dipped under 30 or did he get it? Did he just nick it back above 30? You know, it's,
0: just dipped under 30, yeah. He,
1: the, the, the case against is really obvious. And I think there's a, an element in the fan, fan base or whatever that just thinks he is a non-starter, he's a lucky lad, and he really is swimming out of his depth and he should be shuffled back into the pack. And I don't agree genuinely. I, I can see the case for Crawley. And it is the fact that he does exemplify and, and personify the way they want to play. He can, he can play. I see it. I, I'm one of those people who looks at him and, and believes. I think he's probably a three, more than he is an opener. That's where I'd like him to live eventually. But I do see, I see what they see in him. I, there, there is a test match player there who could, who could go on to do really good things. He, he his mind is not always certain, but. But the way he speaks, we've all heard quotes. I'm sure. I'm sure you've heard quotes. But like, I thought averaging ten in India was not a bad score on those pitches. <laughs> he says some quite remarkable yeah. things. But yeah. he clearly that comes from genuine belief and maybe a little bit of entitlement along the way. But I think he'll get loads of rope from these two, and I don't think it'll take much to ink him in for the next couple of tests. It won't take a hundred. Doesn't have to get a hundred. I really don't think he has to get a hundred. I think he has to go about it the way they're asking him to. And he's like a loss leader in a supermarket. You know, like, the the Tesco's lose money on something that they stick at the shop, but they get you in the shop, don't they? They get you in there and spending other stuff. And I think, uh, I think Crawley is almost like a loss leader. He is personifying the McCullum and Stokes way. Yeah, and he might get out for 14, but he's proof that that's what they're doing.
0: Well, I I spent a lot of time in commentary boxes with ex-players and ex-players are not, 100% one hundred percent reliable because like everybody else who's a bit older than it's you know back in the day we would never have done this, what are these techniques, this, that, and the other. But I have seen and heard a regular gripe, sometimes mentioned on air, very often mentioned off air, which is, you know, if you look at Crawley's front leg when he plays a drive, uh, so frequently it's dead straight and braced. Which of course makes it kind of tricky if the ball's a little bit wider that's not so much of a problem but that ball that jags back towards you and if that leg is braced and there's movement then you can look a bit foolish your back comes way out in front and you you get out you get bold or you nick off and x players are just just can't believe this and what i did see in the the last test he played was i thought i detected a, a determination just to bend his knees at his stance. What I'll be interested in come Wednesday at Lords, well, probably Thursday, because it looks like it's going to rain for the first time in a month. Of course it does. The rain dances, does cricket. Uh, I'll be interested to see uh, literally his technique, because we all know his hand-eye coordination is fantastic. We know his power. We know his height. We know his reflexes. He's taken some amazing catches. Took a brilliant catch in South Mm -hmm. Africa, of course. So we know he's got the... Uh, the building blocks to be a really great cricketer and a great sportsman but is he is he willing to modify his technique ever so slightly Uh, and my last word on Crawley is I think that there's a little bit of reverse snobbery attached to Crawley which is you know this assumption that the commentators have all played golf with his dad and that you know Robert Key has been around him since he was Four years old. I don't think any of that is true, <laughs> and so the kind of idea <laughs> that he's a golden child and, and he's yeah, <laughs> but that he's you know he's going to get special uh, special opportunities to fail where other people don't. And I don't know that that is fair. You know, top level sport it just doesn't work like that because you're in the public gaze yeah. and people are used to getting dropped all the time. So I think that's very much a kind of psycho babble from the fan. But I think
1: yeah, I think there's a genuine belief in Crawley the player, and I think by the way, Key is currently you know, convening the selection. And I think he's staying out of it. I, I think I, I think he's mindful not to be seen to be too heavily in Crawley's corner. I, I think Stokes is is going into bat hard for him.
0: Right. Well, that's a problem with Crawley. If it is a problem, we will find out. And I will be fascinated to see how he gets on from Wednesday. But England have got opponents here and we've focused an awful lot on England and their issues and 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 how they play the game. What are their opponents? Their opponents are South Africa. They've played one warm-up game. No side that tours these days gets good preparation. And I think it's only the English that continually whine about it. We didn't get enough chance in Australia. It rained. We had two days. Well, South Africa got to play in scorching temperatures at Canterbury against an incredibly hungry Lions side who racked up 672 at (laughs) 5.74 runs and over
1: Buzzball. And won by an innings.
0: <laughs> Baseball, exactly. And it was—it wasn't a first-class game. There are a couple of interesting selections in there. I thought at the time when the ECB is supposed to be being bombarding us with the hundred that they managed to take Sam Billings, uh, Will Jackson, Harry Brook out of the hundred where twenty-two thousand eyeballs and free-to-air television would have been able to see them play and send them to Canterbury in front of twelve hundred people with uh, you know who are mostly knitting. It uh, shows that they do have a bit of a, a commitment to red ball cricket that perhaps their tractors don't uh, don't recognise, the wisdom of which is, is uh, for you to decide. Uh, but also that South Africa, albeit without their first choice bowling attack, looked a little bit vulnerable, didn't they? And I'd, I'd be interested to see how South Africa set up. Dean Elgar has been very clear that he thinks that all this baseball stuff is nonsense. He's not interested. Not interested in what England do. They're here to play their own their own way. And he might well be right. He might well have the tools. But are we slightly overestimating this South African side? There's some fine bowlers there. Henrik Nochir, Kekiso Rabada, Lungi Ngidi, Simon Harmer, if they pick him, which would be fascinating, over Keshav Maharaj, or even both on what you say will be dry pitches, maybe at the Oval. But their batting looks a bit fragile and thin. How, How do you assess the tourists as they come into this series?
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, earlier this summer, Jamie Porter, I think, was was doing the wreck, wreck the tourists routine, wasn't he? He was getting wickets left, right, etc. And it doesn't. I think these tour matches, it's it's not not too smart to, to look greatly into the detail there. But but for certain, the the Elgar quotes about England's methods what he thought about them. They were quite punchy. And from a guy who I've never seen has been that, that South African sort of thrower of verbal punches. He's quite, he's been more of a, a conservative leader, really. And uh, not to talk about conservative leaders again. Um, but <laughs> it, it's kind of set, it's set the, the debate up, hasn't it? Because he hasn't deflected the question about England's new style. He's, He's grabbed it. He's grabbed it by the horns and said, there's no life in this. There's no lifespan. There's no longevity. It's a bit dumb. And they're going to come crashing down. We're going to hear, I would love to hear those stump mics uh, when England bat, because he'll be all over them. And and when he comes to bat, because he's set it up really nicely. And this team led by Stokes isn't going to be wilting violets. They're, They're going to be amongst it. So I think it is interesting.
0: Can you imagine a greater contrast between, between captains. I mean, can you can you think of a greater contrast? If we think that captains lead from the front, Ben Stokes charging down the wicket at Carl Jameson at Lord's. I know it brings back a slightly scary memory, doesn't it? Mm. And Dean Elgar, crab-like, determined to have a strike rate of 37, come what may. <laughs> it's it, it's quite the thing, isn't it?
1: It is, but here's an interesting one, and talk, reflecting just back on Crawley's position there, is would there be room for Dean Elgar in England's team if he was around I would think they'd snap your hand off for Dean Elgar he doesn't he's not going to he's not going to chase down 350 in a in a day but I would think they would look at a player with his pedigree and his sort of ability to get into the game and they'd find a way to make it work wouldn't they I mean I think he'll he'll be c- crucial to them it, 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 the captain always is I suppose but England need to get into him because he could slow them down in a real and they don't one thing we know this summer is that they like the game to move and they like it to be moving. And India got a little bit sucked in by that. They, they, they sort of pushed the game, they pushed the accelerator a little bit more than they needed to. And Elgar might just try and really pump the brakes and see how England cope with it and because they've been used to getting things moving. So interesting. Harmer's a good one. I'd love to know about Harmer really because it feels like he should play. Maharaj has had an excellent, excellent run of things and he's a really smart player. But geez, Harmer knows so much about these players, he's bowled at them all. He's bowled them all out. Except Alex Lee. Alex Lee's told me that he's always, always gets out to Sam Cook before Harmer comes on. So (laughs) you you never know, but I would like to see him play. They've lost Duane Olifia, another player who uh, has sort of been around these circuits, but these are going to be, these are going to be players who know each other pretty well, aren't they? There's, they're not coming at each other fresh. And I think they'll, they'll, these, these are two teams, given Elgar's words and given the commitment to sort of this, pushing the barriers that England have laid out. These are going to be two teams who are absolutely scrapping to control the story, aren't they? Like the the rhythm of the game and the narrative of it. They're going to be really scrapping for that and that's going to make it interesting.
0: Now, a little bit of disappointing news from the South African camp. Duan Olifea has been ruled out of the tour. It still leaves a fine bowling attack like some in Giti, But Rory, uh, you're hearing that Rabada may be in doubt.
1: Well, yeah, he missed the island, missed the island games with an ankle uh, knock. I think he's said didn't play the tour match. So you would you would like to think, just from a spectacle point of view, uh, you would like to think that that's them looking after him, and that they're actually just timing his charge perfectly to uh, unwrap the ball at, at Lords. Because whatever your partisan views are, whether you are watching on TV, listening on the radio, got a ticket, you want to see. Kagisa Rabada Uh play a test match. So hope he's fit. Um and and yeah, they've got a few decisions to make. Other than that, There's, it's not you know, Nokia's not played test cricket for about a year, I don't think. Uh and Gidi's there. They, they've got they've got I mean, when do they not have fast bowling options? Uh so they've coped without Duane Olifea for four or five years due to colpack stuff, so they could probably yeah. probably cope with him uh, without him again this time. But Rabada you know, he's the one who really he would change the, his absence would change the the balance of, of power wouldn't in the game. So hopefully uh, they've just been looking after him.
0: And just before we go, do you think there's any chance that by the end of this series, we're going to see a couple of bolters? Might we see the Romantics choice? Might Moeen Ali get a, a run out at the Oval, which is known to have a little bit of spin in it. It's had a bit of grabbing it actually for the hundred games. We've had this incredibly dry summer. Might we see spin twins, Maharaj and Harmer by the end of the season? Or is there just, is there just somebody you can see like Harry Brook, maybe? Getting a debut, somebody bolting into either of these two sides before the series is over.
1: Well, with England, I mean, I don't think we'll see Moeen. I find that a bit a bit of a stretch. He's he's basically available for Pakistan, and the conditions are so different. I don't think there's any suggestion that he needs to have a run out of the Oval to get ready for Karachi or whatever. So, doubt that's going to happen. Don't think there's any chance of Rashid at all. Spoke to him recently. He he's not doesn't look like he's close. Uh, as it's the Oval, um, obviously we know Harry Brook is next in line and they'll be keen to, if there's if there's a vacancy opens up, they'll be keen to give him a look at it. But as it's the Oval, it would be interesting with a view to Pakistan if Will Jacks came into the oh. to the mix. He hasn't bowled, you know, I know he's not bowling loads and loads, but if he could justify his spot, he's obviously just got 100 in the 100, uh, but if he could justify nipping into that 11 through his batting, chucking in a few spare overs that could be exactly the job that's up for grabs in Pakistan it was a job that I thought Liam Livingstone was probably going to be shouting up for but that hasn't really transpired so I don't know you tend to think Will Jacks is going to have an England career to speak of fairly soon so um the sooner the better but it probably is going to be white ball but um, with Pakistan around the corner it would be nice to think that the oval might give him a little home home taste of England yeah,
0: you say he'll be white ball, but maybe that's what they had in mind when they picked him for that Lions game to be, see if he could be an off-spinning all-rounder. We shall see. Uh, we'll take a break now. Uh, we'll be back. We'll be back during the Test match, and we'll be back throughout this summer and this year on 99.94. But for now, it's goodbye from Rory Dollard and from me, Daniel Norcross. Thanks for listening to England on 99.94. Please rate, review and subscribe. You can download the 99.94 app from where you get your apps. And you can follow us personally on Twitter at Norcross Cricket and at The RVD, which is Rory's Twitter and Instagram. That's T-H-E-R-V-D. Of course, Rory was going to be difficult. We'll put links up for everything we do there. Remember, if you love cricket, then 99.94 is the home of cricket audio. Follow them for podcasts and commentary from the world of cricket. Yep, sort of. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1